Our sermon passage for this morning is Hebrews 3, 1 through 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. So now, Father in heaven, we come to you in the name of Jesus, Jesus the Son, Jesus the Savior, Jesus the giver of life, Jesus the restorer of hope, Jesus the one who makes all things new, Jesus the one who lifts our weary, drooping heads, Jesus the one who cares for his sheep, Jesus the one who will not let anything snatch us from his hands, Jesus the one who endures and sustains and strengthens and gives hope, Jesus the one who makes all things new, Jesus the one who changes everything. Lord, we come in his name and we profess that these things are true. Now, Father, I pray you would help us to believe them. I pray that you would help us to find life in him. I pray that in believing these things about Christ, he would be glorified and we would be changed. Lord, where there is unbelief in this room, would you bring faith? Where there is doubt, would you bring truth? Where there is fear and anxiety, would you bring comfort and peace? Where there is brokenness and sin, would you bring healing and restoration and forgiveness? God, whoever in this room might be far from you, separated from you, would you bring into the kingdom today? Help us, Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you haven't already, please take your Bible. Turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 3. Here at Redeemer, we are working our way through the book of Hebrews, and today we come to chapter 3. I've been out the last two Sundays, so I want to say thank you to Stephen Carlson and to um, Austin Shaver as they have preached the last two weeks. I'm very thankful for you guys. They kind of guided us through chapter 2 of Hebrews, and so now we come to chapter 3. In many ways, these six verses that we're going to look at today could be a summary thesis statement for the whole book of Hebrews. They could be a summary thesis statement for all of our faith, and they could be a summary thesis statement for every moment of our lives. Here's what they say. Look to Jesus. Dwell with Jesus. Because in him is confidence and hope that transcends eternity. Look to Jesus. Dwell with Jesus. Because in him, through him, by him, are confidence and hope to dwell for eternity. Amen. Everybody ready to go home? Don't, please don't say yes. Just pretend. Let, let me connect the dots here. Just watch. Verse 3, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Now that's the, that's the command. 
That's what we're told to do. We're told to consider Jesus. And then my English translation has a comma. And after that comma, it's going to tell us what we should consider about Jesus. And then it's going to pick back up in the middle of verse 6. We are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And so what we're being told here is that confidence and hope come through considering Jesus. Confidence and hope come through Jesus. Now, now we as Southern American evangelical Bible Belt people, when we see things like consider Jesus, we go, oh yeah, that's for the lost people, that's for the world, that's for all those out there. But no, that's not what this passage is saying at all. There's implication for the lost world. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, thank you for being here. Consider him. We'll help you. But this passage is written to the church. It's written to believers. And what it says, brothers, sharing in a heavenly calling, your path forward today and tomorrow and forever flows through considering Jesus. We never graduate from it. We need more Christ. We'll come back to this in a few minutes, but that doesn't mean more facts about Christ. It doesn't mean more books about Christ. It means more of the tangible ministry of Jesus at work in our lives. We need it, and we get it by considering him. Now, so the first point, if you're a note taker, is consider. And what I want you to consider is that you don't know how to consider. Okay? I say consider, and you think this. Oh, yeah, consider where we should go to lunch, the place with the shortest line, next question. That's not consider. That's a quick decision. The word consider, particularly as it's used in the Greek language here, means this, to observe well. Thinking of an art museum, pondering a picture. Tell me what do you see here? Observe well. The calling is not to just quick, yeah, oh yeah, Jesus is the answer. Oh yeah, Jesus. Jesus, like it's sometimes those five word letters strung together make some kind of magical incantation. That's not it. What it is is stop, slow down, ponder, dwell upon, observe well, Jesus. Because when we meet him in that way, that's where the power comes from. That's the command of this passage. Let me see if by way of illustration I, I can convince you that we don't consider well. Let's think about text messaging. Do you consider your text messages before you send them? I'm here to tell you you don't. Here's why. This past week, my family and I, we were on a cruise. And the, there's no internet out at sea. And so the cruise line created an app where you could message anyone on the ship without having the internet. It's beautiful, except for this one thing. Their developers forgot autocorrect. Oh, I see your faces. You know what autocorrect is? You type godly gook and it, it translates it to wife, I love you, right? Because we just type fast and we don't consider anything and we've been hard programmed and it all work out in the end. So for the first day, my family and I were exchanging messages that looked like an infant on a keyboard. Like, So what the absence of autocorrect taught us was that we give no consideration to our text messaging, and we had to learn, which meant you type the message, and then you read it. And then you fix what was wrong. And then you read it again. And then you fix what was wrong. And then you read it again. I'm only talking like a five-word text message here, right? 
And then, after much consideration, you had sinned. So what we're being told to do is not just quickly go, I consider what we're just like, slow down, ponder, evaluate, look intently, learn, dwell, be ministered to. That's the calling. Consider Jesus. And I needed a really poor app on a cruise ship to teach me how to slow down and ponder. Now, you tech nerds out there, I know you're like, I could fix that in 15 minutes. That's fine, but that's not the point. Fixing the app's not the point. The point is to slow down and to consider. The calling of this passage is to consider Jesus. Now, who? Let's go back. The first word, chapter 3, verse 1, is therefore. And I know all preachers overly use this cliche. When you see the word therefore, you're supposed to go back. But this one is particularly unique and particularly powerful. Because the first two chapters of Hebrews, who, who are they about? Who are the first two chapters of Hebrews about? It's not a rhetorical question. They're about Jesus. But you know what doesn't appear in the first two chapters of Hebrews? The name Jesus. He's called the Son, or he's called by these other metaphorical names. And so in chapter 3, when it says, therefore, it's hearkening back to all of the stuff that we've been told, and it says, consider Jesus as a declaration to say, we've been considering him. This is who he is. His name is Jesus. So the son who is greater than the angels, his name is Jesus. We know him. He's revealed God to us. We can dwell upon him. We don't have to guess. And then this passage is going to say, the, the son who we've considered, he's greater than Moses, meaning he's a better deliverer and he's a clearer word and we can know him. We don't have to guess. Now slow down and consider Jesus. But who's he writing to? Therefore, holy brothers. He's writing to and sisters, brethren and sisterin. Consider, Christians, you who share in a heavenly calling. What he's saying is Christians need to slow down and consider Jesus. There is never a point where we graduate from needing to slow down and consider Jesus. If you take anything away from today's sermon, take that away. There is never a point where we graduate from needing to slow down and consider Jesus. One more point. I love theology, I love truth, I love learning truth. I love digging deep and learning new things about God. But, hear me very clearly. I want your eyes here, okay? We American Bible Belt Christians are addicted to new knowledge. And when I say consider Jesus, most of you are thinking, learn something that I don't yet know. By the way, if you're here, you've never read the scripture, consider Jesus does mean Open it up, turn to the book of, let's say, Mark, and learn something about a Savior that you don't yet know. One of the reasons we're studying Hebrews is so that for some of us, we might learn something that we don't yet know. But to think that the only way to grow, the only way to mature, the only way to become a, a more faithful follower of Jesus is to learn something new is a dangerous trap that we can't fall in. So when he says, consider Jesus, don't think, read a chapter that I've never read. Think about taking an eye exam 
and actually seeing those letters as clearly as you can. Okay, so you guys that are, I'm, I'm about to be 40, so you guys that are older than me, you remember we used to go to the eye doctor, they didn't drop things in front of our eyes to test our vision, there was just a sign on the wall, and you would stand at a line and they would say, read the lowest line that you can read. You guys remember those versions of the eye test? So a few weeks ago, my wife went in for an eye test and the doctor was out. And so they were like, well, until the doctor gets back, let's do that one. And so they pulled out the old sign and they asked her to take off her glasses and read the, top, the, the bottom um, one that she could see. And she said, E. That's the top one. Here's the other crazy thing. I used to think as a little kid that the eye test was an exam because they would like give it at school, right? So I would just memorize the bottom line and then I would stand up there and I would go, da-da-da-da-da, I passed the test. Except I couldn't see it. <laughs> and I think that's a metaphor for what I'm trying to say is consider not passing the test. Consider seeing clearly. So you maybe know all the letters and you can read the bottom line, but I want you to see it more clearly. And what good eyeglasses do is they help you see the letters clearly. What good contact lenses do is they help you see the letters clearly. And the power for walking with Jesus comes when we see him clearly in such a way that we commune with him and we dwell with him and he ministers to us. So I'm pleading with you to cultivate a life that slows down and considers Jesus. How can you do that? One, you must open the Bible and read. And again, I'm all for Bible reading plans, and I think it's really good that sometime in your life you finish the book of Leviticus, but John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that one that everybody knows, even people that have never read the Bible, or doing to others as you would have, like all those, those can give you clarity about Jesus if you will slow down and meditate and dwell upon them. We need the Word which reveals the Son to help us to dwell. Second, if we want to dwell upon Jesus, if we want to consider Him, learn to pray. Prayer as reflexive interaction with our Savior, where we ask and we wrestle, and we struggle, and we listen, and we praise, and we talk, and we celebrate. That type of interactive relationship with God through the Son is the type of relationship of dwelling. Thank you, God, for this food. It's just moving through. By the way, I'm all for that. But, but I'm talking about prayer where we dwell. Encamping ourselves with believers who will cause us to slow down and dwell with Jesus. These are ways that we consider Christ. I'm asking you to join me in cultivating a life where we slow down and we consider Jesus regularly and routinely. And as we sit and as we stand and as we come and as we go, we regularly connect with our Savior and consider who He is and what He's done for us. This is a way of life thing. This is a calling to, to build our lives in a particular way where dwelling in Christ wins the day for us. So if we're to dwell on Christ, what will we see? Or what will the fruit of it be? That's the second point. Confidence and hope. The passage tells us 
that the way toward eternal confidence and eternal hope, and by the way, when I say eternal, I don't mean for the next life. I mean starting now and lasting into the next life. So the way to comp, like the fruit of dwelling with Christ is that our lives can be transformed. So what do we, what do we see when we dwell upon Christ? I'm going to start with a question. How many of you in the last month have wrestled with the philosophical question, who's greater, Jesus or Moses? Anybody? Anybody? Okay, so what he's talking about here is irrelevant to us, so we'll just skip it. No, we just have to work a little harder, okay? Now, here's what he says. He says, consider Jesus the apostle. The word apostle simply means the sent one. And high priest which means the one who stands as a representative between God and his people. So Jesus is the great sent one and the great high priest whom we trust. And then he goes into this comparison between Jesus and Moses. Jesus was faithful just like Moses was, but Jesus is greater than Moses. What's the deal with that? What's the deal with that? Moses was a figure in the Old Testament. God raised up Moses amongst his people Israel. They were, they were in bondage in Egypt, and God raised up Moses, and what Moses was sent to do was to deliver the people and speak God's word to the people. So Moses was a deliverer and the bringer of God's word to God's people Israel. So all in favor of Moses as an important figure in the Bible. Not only that, but I think the important way to interpret this is also to consider Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15. This Moses who we're talking about, who was the great deliverer of the people and who was the bringer of the word, he said this, that later the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Prophet means one who speaks God's word. From your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So Moses says to the people that God's going to raise up a prophet greater than him who will guide the people, deliver the people, and speak God's word to the people. So what we're being told in this passage is we should consider that Jesus is greater than Moses because Moses was a servant of God's house. Jesus is the son, the inheritor, the king over God's house. So if Moses could deliver the people, how much greater a deliverance could Jesus bring? If Moses could bring a word of God to the people, how much greater a word does Jesus bring? So what we're being told is to dwell on Christ and see that he's greater than Moses and that if we're in him, there is an eternal place in the house of God under the reign of Jesus the Son. We're being told to consider that if we're in Christ, we are the children of God. If we're in Christ, we belong to the household of God. We're being told to consider that if we're in Christ, we know God. If we're in Christ, we know God's word. And if we are in Christ, we've been delivered by the greatest deliverer who ever will be. And therefore, we're told that that gives confidence and hope. Confidence and hope. The end of verse 6, and we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. So the path to eternal confidence is 
Jesus. And the path to eternal hope is Jesus. And the path to the final word is Jesus, who is the final word. And the path to the greatest deliverance is Jesus, who is the great deliverer. And the path to eternal blessing is Jesus, who reigns over the house of God. So what these Jewish background believers are being called to with this comparison between Jesus and Moses is, don't look back, what you have is better. So you told me earlier, you outed yourselves by the absence of a show of hands, that none of you have wrestled this month with whether Jesus is better than Moses. So my question for you is this, and I'm going to beg you to pray for God to give you an answer. Where are you prone to look back? Where are you prone to look for a better word, a better guidance, a better hope, a better future, or a better you? Because if it's anywhere but Jesus, you're selling yourself out and you're settling for that which is much I can't answer that question for you, but I would plead with you to pray. God, show me where I'm settling for something lesser than Jesus. And then will you commit to let Christ have the last word in your life? Now, now let me be really clear about this, okay? Let's just pretend that you bought a brand new car yesterday. And you're going to go home today and you're going to look for guidance on how to use all the gadgets um, by reading the owner's manual. I'm not suggesting that reading the owner's manual is settling for lesser than Jesus because the Bible doesn't talk about 2019 Honda Pilots or whatever you would buy in your analogy. But what we have to say is the word of Jesus is far supreme to anything that I'm ever going to look to. And I must let it have the last word, and I won't look back. What's that one thing that you're like, if that would just get fixed, I would be happy and satisfied. God's never going to let that satisfy you. Jesus is your satisfaction. I mean, look, I just spent seven days on a free cruise that I didn't pay for where people could pamper me. And it had free childcare. And it doesn't satisfy my soul. And all you that are coveting right now, don't. <laughs> it's fun, but it doesn't satisfy our soul. My phone right over there right now is streaming a nine-year-old baseball game. And whatever happens in that baseball game today will not satisfy anybody's soul. Nobody's life or legacy is going to be created in any way in youth athletics, ever. Where are we prone to look back and say, Jesus isn't enough, I need something else. Let God sh Don't be afraid of God showing you that and then repent and look to Jesus, and he'll help you. That's the good news. Jesus doesn't call us to look to him so he can shame us. He calls us to look to him so he can help us. Amen. Second. Verse 6 says, And we are his household, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. Do you hear what that's saying? He's assuming that we have confidence. Confidence. 
He's assuming that we have hope. And I think so many of us are just trying to survive. And look, if that's where you are just trying to survive, cling to Jesus, he'll hold you fast. But, but some of us just believe that that's all that this life can offer us, is just surviving. And I don't think that's the case. I want us to believe that the power of the gospel purchased through the blood of Jesus and applied by the Holy Spirit can bring radical change to me and to you and to us and live and pray as if that's a promise that God is eager to work out in our lives. Like I said, if you're just holding on today, brother or sister, keep holding on. Let Jesus hold on to you. But let's pray that in a year it would be radically different because he desires to change us. I mean, look, I'll just be transparent. I'm the most anxious person that I know. I worry about everything. You know, they talk about glass half full or half empty. Mine's like 98% empty all the time. Always looking at what could be wrong, what's going to go wrong, what could break, what's going to train wreck my day, yada, 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 yada. I mean, look, I was just on a seven-day vacation where all my needs were met, and I still found junk to be anxious about. And that's a lot of, I can tell, like I'm hitting home, but that's me. But I want to not look at that and go, well, that's, that's just who I am and that's how I'm wired and that's my personality type and so I'm going to be an anxious person forever. But I want to look at that and I want to say, hey, Jesus, come into this deep recess of my anxiety and go to work. Go to work. Help me. Change me. Let me be different. Because I believe he wants that. I believe that Jesus, the perfect human, came to let us experience a fuller humanity. And I want that. And I think he wants that for you. And I want you to believe that so much that you'll pray for it. So friends, those here who go to counseling, like me, those of us here who take medication, those of us here who are seeking therapy, I'm not shaming you with this statement. I'm just asking you to pray that Jesus would come on into that and use all of that to work radically for the good of your soul and the joy of this life. Because the promises of the kingdom aren't just for when we fly away, as the old hymn says. They're for now, too. And I want us to believe it. I want us to read verse 6 and say, Yeah! I got some confidence, and I got some hope, and I'm going to cling to it by looking to Jesus, because that's how we're supposed to walk away. And if you're here today kind of checking out Christianity, I'm going I'm to burst your bubble, okay? We're a train wreck here at Redeemer. Train wreck of train wrecks. But Jesus is great. He's at work here. And we trust him to make all things new in us. So come on. Get on the broken boat with us. But it's not going down because Jesus is our captain. And he's going to protect us all the way to the end. Let's go. Come on. That's the invitation. So Father, 
whatever's been said today that would glorify you and help your people, I pray that you would make it last. I pray that you would cause every one of us to walk out of here pondering Christ and bearing much fruit. Help us, Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one way that we consider Jesus regularly here at Redeemer Church is we take the Lord's Supper on a weekly basis. So here in just a minute, we're going to take a piece of bread and we're going to take a cup. The bread symbolizing the body of Jesus, the blood, or excuse me, the cup symbolizing the blood of Jesus. And we take them as a way to say, Jesus is my answer and my hope and my everything, and I look to him. So here at Redeemer, we invite anyone who is a Christian, that's anyone who's professed faith in Jesus for salvation, and made that faith known to the church, we would invite you to take the bread and the cup with us. If you're here today kind of checking the faith out, we would ask you let the bread and the cup pass. Because the bread and the cup is a testimony that Christ is the Lord and he's my Lord and I belong to him. But we would say today, would you consider Jesus? Would you consider repenting, turning from your sin and yielding your life to Christ? We would love to help you do that if that's how God is at work in your life today. So some men are going to come and pass out the bread and the cup. We're going to sing and I'll come back in a few minutes and we'll take them together.